0: Where Nobody Knows Your Name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. Today we're talking about episode 16 of season 4, Cliffy's Big Score. It was released on 30th of January 1986, directed by James Burrows and written by Heidi Perlman. It's a weird one, isn't it? It is a weird one. Today we're joined by a former child actor who has been our man on the ground since the early days of this podcast, helping to spread awareness of where nobody knows your name, both through his travels and through his gaming channel and wrestling podcast. Welcome, Mr. Troy Grant.
1: How are you? Good, thanks, Troy. Nice to have you here today. Very much the hype man in the early days. I have to spread the love, spread the gospel, of course.
0: Troy, for those of you who don't know, was taking pictures of various cheers bars around the world for us over the course of this podcast. So we have him to thank for that.
2: And that hasn't stopped either. As soon as we're allowed to go back on holidays and travel, I'll be on the lookout for them once
1: again. We'll be doing a global pub crawl.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) So where should we kick off? Should we kick off with the cold open? Actually, Troy, what's your background of watching Cheers? Have you watched many of the episodes? Or is this your your first of intro to an episode properly?
2: I've watched it before. I remember watching it when I was a bit younger, but was probably too young to understand it. And then it was basically you guys and your podcast that kind of put me onto it again and sort of sporadically watched it. And then it helped that I kind of had this podcast to almost watch along with or kind of listen to afterwards to give me a bit more context and to kind of fill in those gaps and stuff. So certainly through listening to the podcast, it's spiked my interest a bit more in the show. But this is the first time that I've really sat down and watched an episode and really taken some detailed notes. I've obviously not taken notes on anything before, but kind of really listened to specifics of the episode and picked up on little nuances and stuff like that. So a different way of watching it for me, uh, but really interesting.
1: This will be a good Good intro to, to the bar, then this cold open because it sets up the what do you call them? James, uh,
2: welcome to the erotic misadventures of Sam Malone <laughs> this
1: week. Telephone car,
2: I think that sums it up perfectly. Sleazy misadventures, <laughs> the Lothario of the Reagan era was Sam Malone, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. This, this bit really, really cracked me up. This, this cold open here And just the conversation That kind of happens On the telephone I think it's Woody That answers the phone Isn't it To an irate woman On the other end of the phone I think it's, he says oh, Something about it. It's an irate woman And he said She said something About two-timing Someone calls over And says Sam, phone's for you
1: He's written the wrong name On sort of a
2: Gift of flowers In the card Yeah,
1: yeah But it kind of turns Into like a Five degrees of Kevin Bacon situation Where he's trying to like Thread <laughs> a link of.
2: <laughs> more, it's more so Just his desperate Attempt to get out of it And he just keeps Shoveling and digging Himself deeper and deeper well, of course I know your name's Karen. Uh, <laughs> you know,
3: hey, I see your mistake here. See, you didn't realize that, to me, Barbara means Karen. Well, because, because, uh, because Barbara reminds me of Barbara Streisand. And, and you know, that, that song about people? Well, I, I am getting to it um, You know the line First be a person who needs people Well, who is the first person? Yeah, Alright, but then the first female person was Eve and, and who's the most famous Eve of all? But Christmas Eve, Right <laughs> Yeah, well what do you do uh, on Christmas Eve but you go Carolyn right now I know I know your name's not Carolyn but but after you go Carolyn what you do is you Karen
2: the gifts <laughs>
3: Karen. yeah it's
2: terrible but absolutely hilarious
0: <laughs> and with that i believe we can go into the main episode it feels a bit of a trope
2: two dates for one event i kind of renamed this episode in my in my head cliff spoiled for choice that's what i was going to call it yeah he spoiled for choice between diane and carla personally i
0: don't know who who i'd take to a postman's ball i think diane i'd get annoyed at and i think carla would just not tolerate any of my nonsense I think she'd yell at me.
2: (laughs) I think with Carla, it'd be an absolute riot and it would probably end up in in drunken karaoke, dancing on the bar, whereas with Diane, I think it would be a bit more of a reserved affair.
1: I feel like I'd pair you with Carla in that case, James. The reputation precedes me. It's a drunken karaoke. What song was that? Something
0: by Elvis. It wasn't Elvis, James. It was Mud. Mood? That's a weird way to spell Elvis.
2: (laughs) We should probably mention the reason why he's choosing who to ask out on this date. So he walks into the bar and offers to buy everyone drinks. Is it Norman says, oh, have you got some new insoles for your shoes or something? Is that the reason you're offering to buy everyone drinks? But he goes on to explain that he's been voted postman of the year. But within that area of Boston, there's also another 272 people that have also been voted for the same award. But that's why he's then trying to find someone to kind of take on a date to this ball for Postman of the Year, like a kind of gala event, if you like. He's a, he's a first class guy.
1: <laughs> don't laugh at that, Troy. He's been using this pun for like, I don't know how many episodes. <laughs>
2: I'm humoring him. Someone has to. <laughs> so he plucks up the courage to ask Diane first, doesn't he? And he's got this kind of pre written speech kind of introduction, if you like, to ask her, and it's quite wordy and it's but it's quite sincere and it's Endearing. Ah, oh, Cliff, you're all yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, I Cliff Claven would be ever so honored if you, a lady of exquisite loveliness and taste, whom I hold in the highest respect and esteem, would accompany me with your presence at the Gala postman's ball on the eighteenth of this month. Uh, you would be doing this only as a friend. There is no ulterior motive or uh, strings attached. Thank you for listening.
2: (laughs) Unfortunately, Diane already has plans and she's meant to be having a meeting with her cheese club, to which someone says, I think, something along the lines of, oh, we don't just eat it, we also talk about eating it, which is definitely a club I'd like to be a part of. Cliff then plans to ask Carla, but I think is then reminded by Norm that she just hates him.
1: But they kind of have a bargain of Carla not being bribed to go, but she's definitely getting something out of it.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Escalates of like what he's willing to sort of pay for her to be his date for the evening.
2: A couple of amusing bits from this kind of scenario between those two. And this like the fact that he plucks up the courage to ask her. But then as he's reading out the same bit of script that he's read to Diane, he very deliberately omits the part about her being a, a beautiful and this, that and the other and this, that whatever woman and then just kind of skips straight to the end it's like well do do you want to go then I think she just laughs in his face initially Cliff sort of sheds a tear and then it it disgusts Carla that he's done so so she says yes out of pity but charges him five pound for a hug afterwards (laughs) or five dollars rather five dollar
0: pounds that's the currency we have going here where nobody knows your name we have often misconstrued them we might as well be saying Zloty at this point
2: (laughs) (laughs) Diane then reconsiders going on a date. And so she's managed to move some plans around and says yes to him. But then he is reminded very quickly that Uriya now has a date. And he goes to Sam for advice because Sam is a fountain of knowledge on women and dates date two women at the same time and use his wit to get out of any situation. Speaking of wit, Clifford then says, I just need to go and have a huddle over there with the man who knows almost as much about women as I do. <laughs> Sam gives him an excuse to make up something along the lines of, say that your girl cousin is in town from Michigan and only here for the day, but then Sam quickly realises that she'll have already heard that excuse
1: because it's one that he's used before. To be fair, he kind of gives a good kind of scenario of how to play it. I mean, he does, But it's like he just kind of he leads Cliff
2: astray with these ideas and and excuses and and suggestions sort of thing. And you kind of see how much of a kind of lovable rogue Sam is, but how it often gets him into trouble. So he's probably not the best person to go to advice, but I suppose he, he probably means it deep down. He probably means it with the best intentions. It just never really works out for him or anyone else involved.
0: I think in terms of women, I think Sam and Woody are like shoulder devils and shoulder angels because Woody's just so innocent and he just goes, well, why don't you just tell them both the truth and they can't be mad at you? And you're like,
2: oh, Woody, you've met Carla, right? So much to learn, Woody. (laughs) Sam sort of gives him some advice, but I think that makes the situation a little more confusing for Cliff and doesn't know what to do, to which he then makes up some, well, I say makes up an imaginary friend. We then find out later on that there is a friend from his workplace, a postman, that can take Carla instead. And to which Carla says, what kind of girl do you take me for? And Cliff replies, the one who would like a big screen TV? And she says, yes, that's the kind. You know me well.
1: (laughs) Bribery, it works every time. Cliff comes up good though. He finds a charming guy to bring to the ball.
2: As he enters. So just before Diane enters in this really nice black dress and everyone kind of applauds and cheers and Sam exclaims that it brings back memories of a girl that he used to take to his high school prom. And then Cliff enters in a a sort of powder blue tuxedo, which reminded me of the one from Dumb and Dumber. He's flanked by a man with long hair, a beard and a bandana. Someone who has come right out of the set of Easy Rider. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he's also got flip flops on. The camera pans out a bit and he's just got these like sandal flip flops on with white
1: socks on and then a full tux.
2: It's absolute gold.
1: I got Leo vibes from that 70 show.
2: I was going to say, I got Tommy Chong vibes off him. Very much so. Even more so than when he opened his mouth and he goes to be introduced and he just mumbles.
3: Everybody liking to meet Lucas. Uh, Lucas,
1: uh, the gang.
2: It's worth a good point.
3: He said hello. See, Lucas is sort of used to talking to himself.
1: Carl enters the bar, though. She's dressed up to the night. She
2: does. She looks super. It's like this really loud sequin dress and purple tights. That's it. And a large corsage. She, she explains it's because the, the baby sicked up on her or something like that. It was the only thing big enough she could find to cover it.
0: So they're all a bit confused why all four of them are going.
2: That's it, yeah. I think Carlo sees Diane all dressed up and holding the big kind of brooch of flowers and asks them why she's there. And he says she's the only one that he could get to go with him. To which Carlo asks, well, how much are you paying her? And he says, oh, a transistor radio.
0: I'll tell you what, Cliff's going to be in so much depth at the end of this episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just in, in home appliances, VCRs, TVs, transistor radios. Cliff then introduces Carla and Lucas, and she complains that he doesn't look like Robert Redford, which is how he, he sold Lucas to her a slightly earlier in the episode.
3: He thought he was supposed to look like Robert Redford.
2: Well, uh, he, he does, from a distance.
3: <laughs> yeah, Mars. <laughs> I think you'll soon find out just why a planet came
0: to mind. <laughs> I think it's a good time to talk about who plays this gentleman, Lucas. It's your boy, Timothy Scott. Of Footloose
2: fame, actually.
0: Footloose. He also appeared in the movie In the Heat of the Night with uh, Sidney Poitier. We've briefly discussed this before, John. It's where Mr. Tibbs comes from. But in this movie, In the Heat of the Night, Timothy Scott's character is known as Shagbag. Who knows <laughs> why? <laughs>
2: shag has a very different meaning in america doesn't it shag tobacco
0: he also appeared in the tv version of shaft he appeared in police story he appeared in beretta one of john's favorite tv shows falcon crest little house on the prairie seven brides for seven brothers as you mentioned footloose he also appeared in the jeffersons fried green tomatoes gettysburg and many more we also have al rosen as Al, I believe you have some little tidbits about Timothy Scott as well, don't you, Troy?
2: I do indeed. Cliff says that he looks like Robert Redford, and for good reason, because Timothy Scott actually starred alongside Robert Redford in two films, one of them Electric Horseman in 1979, and probably more famously and well-known Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in 1969.
0: There's another character given a main credit in this episode in the opening credits, who is Kelsey Grammer, except fager does not actually appear in this episode. It's just the first episode in which he's credited. This wasn't what happened the original time round, but in syndication and DVDs, they put his name in, I assume because of a misprint.
1: That's got to be a bit depressing. Your first credited sort of main titles and you're not even in it.
0: They're just stringing him along at this point. They're going, yeah, yeah,
2: Kelsey, we'll, g- yeah, sure, we'll give you a main role.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> There's another funny line I picked up on as well that I think when Lucas goes to hand over the present to Carla and he mumbles something, passes over the gift. She asks, "What did he say?" To which Norm then says, "I can't believe that that matters." <laughs> Norm is being well salty in this episode. Real salty. Just sat there, just chucking sachets of salt out at anyone and everyone. They should call him the grip Man. Why? Because he's just throwing salt everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
1: After they go to the postman's ball. A yeah, grand old time. As with most things in Cheers, we actually missed the event because, you know, budget can't stretch to actually pack out a room.
2: It's only a 24-minute episode. We can't include the whole speech. It was 272 nominees.
1: We do get to see the aftermath of the award ceremony. Ooh, oh. a bit steamy in that car. <laughs> Carla
2: and Lucas steamy on the back seat as, as Cliff enters.
1: Did you say it was called Shagbag in another film?
2: Sh- <laughs> And for good reason, clearly. Cliff turns around and says, at least someone's getting some loving, and then goes on to say that he made the wrong choice between her and Diane. Then he tries to cover it quickly when he realises Carla's heard it, because it'll get him into trouble, opening his mouth. Carla then goes on to give Cliff what I think was some bad advice. You think? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> pretty bad, considering how how he ended up at the end of the episode. Apparently, Diane said that she wishes he'd come on a little stronger and goes on to say what she wants him to do, which was stroke her arm and sing the words to... Misty. That was it.
1: Pretty bad advice, though, especially when you look at the lyrics, which are, look at me, I'm a helpless as a kitten up a tree. I did a a tiny bit of research into this as well. This song was actually like the focus of a film, Clint Eastwood's directorial debut, no less, called Play Misty For Me, about a stalker who becomes obsessed with a radio disc jockey and keeps phoning and asking them to play Misty. (laughs) So when you add that to like this advice, you realise that Cliff just looks like a psychopath.
2: <laughs> the writers were aware of this film. They knew what they were doing.
1: It's like misery but music. <laughs> misery the musical. <laughs> what songs would you put in that? Hit songs such as I'm Breaking Your Leg? <laughs>
2: I'm just going to be thinking all days now of songs that could go in misery, the musical. Diane then returns to the car. Cliff says, thank you for sticking with me this evening. To which she responds that it was nice to see him let his guard down a bit. Instead of trying to be like Sam, so it was quite a sincere moment, I think. Before he went and done messed up,
1: he does a, a bit of a fake out and he goes, "Oh, the, the gas is empty. Oh no!"
2: He says, "But it says it's half full." He said, "I was broken." It always says half full, and then and then he goes in for the kill, doesn't he, with the the stroking arm and and singing a terrible rendition of Misty. Look
3: at me. <laughs> I'm as helpless as a kitten in a tree And I'm clinging to a clown I can't understand
2: I get misty Just holding your hand yeah. She tells him to get out of the car, goes to drive off, realises the whole thing's been been a sham and she drives off and and leaves him
1: it comes kind of full circle though with the with the cold opening as well where we see sam worming his way out of a situation lying through his teeth and it works and cliff tries to lie through his teeth and is like uh oh, will the act of god convince you that i'm telling the truth <laughs> oh yes <laughs> <laughs> please god if, if i'm telling the truth miraculously fill up this tank but of course it doesn't work <laughs> <laughs>
0: Cliff asks, how can Sam get away with being the bag of sleaze he is? And Diane goes, it's because Sam's good looking. And I'm like, oh, Diane. Rub salt in the
2: wound. (laughs) kick a man when he's down you do feel sorry for him at the end I guess he's poured his heart out well I do and I don't like he's he's come across kind of sincere in his, his delivery of trying to, to get someone to come with him and then he's kind of taken some bad advice he's been easily led astray that's it I think
0: although Cliff made some bad decisions in this episode he was misled by a bad advice of a lot of people that's not to say he's without blame you understand why he's made the decisions that he's made even though they're bad decisions <laughs> That's the trivia bell, John. Troy, are you excited?
2: Cliff's arrived with a trivia. It's a bit late, he was stranded, but here he is. Oh, I'll let him off, but I am excited for some trivia. What does Carla call
0: Diane, Cliff and Lucas? What's her collective name for them? She calls Diane the stick all the time. Yeah,
2: the stick. Is it the stick, the stiff and the something?
1: Door number three. The stick, the nerd and door number three. We talked a little bit about the bribery that goes on in this episode. How does the initial sort of bribe with Carla go in terms of how does it escalate?
2: I'm just trying to remember. As in, as in what Cliff offers Carla initially, trying to try and seal the deal. Is it just five? No, it's not
1: five dollars. It's a monetary value, isn't it? I'm sure. Starts with a dress. She says no. He says, and a corsage, corsage. then a hundred bucks, then a VCR. She's a woman of class, you know? She does... <laughs>
0: Who sang Misty? And I don't mean Cliff. Who sang a popular recording? We've heard his name before in a recent episode. I'm wrong then, because I was going to say
1: Ella Fitzgerald is what I thought.
0: (laughs) Ella has done a version of Misty. So yeah, that's an answer.
1: Is it Ray Stevens? Good
0: guess. An answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit before. Not necessarily trivia, more of an open question. I'm looking for opinions. We mentioned how Misty is a terrible song to try and woo someone with. Pitch me a worse song to try and romance someone with. Delilah.
2: How day," Anything by Tom Jones is sensational. Delilah's about someone who murders their ex-girlfriend. Ah. Okay, well, there are exceptions, but 99% of what Tom Jones does is absolutely sensational. <laughs> Worse songs than
0: Misty. Janie's got a gun. Whole world's come undone. (laughs) Dude looks like a lady. (laughs) Most things by Kiss.
2: Yeah, anything by Kiss. Or anything by Steel Panther, if you know of them. They're just as sleazy as Kiss. That's good.
1: We won't put them in the Spotify playlist, then, James. What about you, John? What else do you think is a bad song? What's the classic wedding one, which is The Police, but it's just about stalkers? Every step you take? Yeah, that's a pretty bad one. People dance to that at their weddings. (laughs) The lines, oh, can't you see? You belong to me. Now imagine someone stroking your arm as they say those words. I don't want to, John. (laughs)
2: Or stuck in some dark woodlands in a car in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's not great. Run for Your Life by the Beatles. <laughs> Controversially Blurred Lines by uh, by Robin Thicke and, and Pharrell, which was quite raunchy in its lyrics.
0: Yeah, that was, for good reason, not played at quite a few venues because of said lyrics.
2: Yes, definitely not one to have at a wedding. You don't hear that at the Posties Awards? <laughs> you know what you would hear? Signed, sealed, delivered.
1: <laughs>
0: Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes.
1: That's two on the nose. That's if if your speech goes on too long. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's the last call at the bar. Oh, what an episode.
2: Yeah. For me, great first episode to review and analyse a little bit more in depth. Really brought out, like, for me, a lot about Cliff's character, certainly, that I probably wasn't as aware of before. Very interesting. Lots of emotions, if you like. Certainly with kind of the ups and downs for Cliff and happy that he's got a date, then realises that he hasn't, takes some bad advice, comes out on a high from the gala, and then it all ends in mud. We've seen him go through some, some weird stuff in Cheers. We've seen him
0: headbutt a brick. <laughs> We've seen him steal from a Floridian hotel. We've seen him bring in vegetables that looked like presidents
1: or states. He's a weird man. This episode humanised him a bit though. He's been very much a caricature for like four seasons, three and a half seasons. This humanised him a bit more which was nice. It's a shame it made him stranded in a like, dirt road in the dark in a powder blue suit. Yeah.
2: Diane's loan right near the end where she says, it's nice to see you let your guard down. And I think that kind of plays very much into where he's not being a character and it's just very much kind of bare bones, stripped back and had just been a bit more vulnerable in himself.
0: It's interesting because John Ratzenberger was very influential in the character of Cliff. He was the one who suggested having a kind of bar trivia character in the first place. I think they've just embellished that character and taken it to the extremes. So yeah, he definitely has fun with the character, I'd say.
1: So Troy, as we draw this episode to a close, I'd love to take a drinks order and we'll use it as our special of today's episode. So what would you like to drink and we'll raise a toast to the episode?
2: I'd quite like a Long Island iced tea. All the alcohol, refreshing, it gives you a bit of a pep, plenty of sugar.
0: I once downed a Long Island iced tea and stood up and went,
1: legs (laughs) legs <laughs> they're not meant to do that <laughs> well we'll firmly sit down as we raise the glasses at the end of this episode we're going to cheers the cliff obviously maybe to, to all the postal service people out there you know
2: yes they've had a tough year a torrid time as of
1: late
0: yeah here's to you all the postal workers out there we salute you cheers
1: posties thank you for listening to where nobody knows your name this has been a cheers podcast cheers guys